Hi, everybody. This is Lee. I'm here with Bob and Jerry. We are One New Man Ministries, an Ephesian 2 ministry, a ministry of reconciliation, where Messianic Jews and Messianic Gentiles who love our Lord and Savior, Yeshua HaMashiach, Yeshua HaMashiach, Jesus Christ, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not the result of work, so that no one may boast. In Ephesians 2, 21 through 22, in him, that is in Yeshua HaMashiach, the whole structure is joined together and grows into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are built together spiritually into a dwelling place for God. So, Jerry, what are we studying today? I want to say good morning to you guys and good morning to our audience and let you all know that today is the second day of Sukkot, uh, also pronounced Sukkot, depending on your uh, Jewish background. Uh, for uh, our uh, Gentile audience, you may know that this is the Feast of Tabernacles, also called the Feast of Ingathering, certain translations. And this is uh, the celebration of the final harvest back in agricultural times. Uh, all of the crops of Israel now from springtime to this time uh, have now been brought in. Uh, the fall is typically the, uh, the fruits that have been developing over the summer, as well as the fruit of the tree and the fruit of the ground, pomegranates, uh, the uh, lemon uh, that's known as the, the esrog, uh, all of these, these, these the, the grapes, of course, how could I leave out grapes, uh, have all now been gathered in, uh, and this is the time of celebration before the Lord. It is a seven-day celebration. Uh, during this time, we are called to live in booths or tabernacles or huts, uh, however you want to translate the idea, but it is a temporary structure. It has uh, walls that are put up, uh, and then the top of it is covered not with a solid roof, but with uh, tree branches so that when we gather in the booth, in the tabernacle, uh, we can sit and take our meals. Uh, many people still uh, sleep overnight in them. And when we look up, we can see the heavens. And of course, the heavens declare the glory of God. And so we are close to God as our ancestors uh, long ago in coming out of Egypt uh, lived in tents or these booths uh, in the same way they lived under the stars before God. And so that's the idea behind Sukkot. It's a time of great joy and celebration uh, and, and, and rejoicing before the Lord. <clears throat> Next week when we get together uh, will be the uh, holiday known as uh, Simchat Torah. It's coupled with something called Shemini Atzeret, which is eighth day. And on uh, Simcha Torah, which is uh, Hebrew for the joy of Torah, uh, we will begin the Torah cycle again. So our Torah portion today is a special portion uh, that goes back to chapter 33 and 34 of Exodus. But if you'll recall, uh, last week we looked at, Gen at uh, Deuteronomy 32, and next week we will finish up uh, Deuteronomy 33 and 34 
But we will also, in light of the uh, Simcha Torah celebration of uh, renewing the cycle, we will also read from Genesis 1. So Simcha Torah uh, recognized the eternal nature of Torah, that it is a Torah cycle. We are getting to the end of the book, which really brings us back to the beginning of the book. Uh, and of course, the very beginning of the book is, in the beginning, God, <laughs> right? Uh, God created the heavens and the earth, but we have that wonderful unity then of, of this whole story uh, that's put out to us in the first five books of the Bible. Uh, it's carried on through all of the Bible, and as New Covenant followers of Yeshua, we see God's story fully completed in the life, death, and resurrection of Yeshua, in the life of the uh, ecclesia, the church, the community of God that he's called out, and then, of course, all the way through uh, John's teaching in Revelation, how God, through uh, the history of this time, will bring human history to a close with the return of Messiah and the establishment of the eternal kingdom, the new heavens and the new earth. So all of that in one way or another is, is here uh, in, in these first five books, just sort of uh, germ-seeded, if you will, uh, for for future revelation, for the, the, the process of time and history as it unfolds under God's sovereign plan, God is bringing uh, that eternal story that we, we've said uh, a few times before. This, the story of the Bible really is very simple. It's creation, fall, redemption, glory. And so God is doing all those things uh, throughout uh, the scripture and as I said, we, we can find all of those things in some sort of germ form in reading Torah. And next week when we get to Simcha Torah, we will get to the end of the story and then go back to the beginning. Because that's really uh, what we're called to do as witnesses for, for God and for his anointed one, Messiah, is to be witnesses to the story he's telling, right? So our uh, so in go ahead. in this uh, special uh, Torah portion this week be, that's for the celebration of Sukkot, we go the the rabbis or whoever in the revelation the wisdom uh, ordered the Torah portions as they are take us back to Exodus thirty three and thirty four for God to remind us at the end or near the end of the story of Torah uh, who he is who his nature is because next week when in the beginning of the story you just said in the beginning God so at the end is God and the beginning is God as well and we I love that this week you know, for Sukkot, we're getting to go back to Exodus 33 and 34 mm -hmm. and really talk more about God's revelation of his character. Right. Well, as you were talking, it reminded me not only what you said it reveals to us about God, but remember this portion of Scripture is in response to that horrible failure on our part in creating the golden calf that God was on the verge of uh, wiping out Israel and starting over just with Moses, right? And Moses right. pleads for Israel, intercedes for them to make atonement for them, right? So there's that. The other thing that we talked about uh, that f I think fits in here too, because it tells the story of 
this redemption is uh, in chapter 34 of Exodus, uh, beginning in verse 18, he tells them about their calendar. He says, you shall keep the feast of unleavened bread seven days. Uh, you shall eat unleavened bread. So there he, he introduces, uh, you're going to uh, observe Passover. Passover, of course, is the commemoration of bringing a people out of slavery into freedom. Then he tells them <clears throat> uh, that you have to participate in Sabbath. And Sabbath is an ongoing year-round uh, process. In Sabbath, we recognize our dependence on God. We, we say, you know, I can set aside my labor and the world is going to go on because God is the one who's ultimately in control. But then he goes on and he tells them, you shall observe the Feast of Weeks. Uh, in, in Hebrew, that's Shavuot. Uh, that is also called the first fruits of the wheat harvest. So it is a first fruits uh, festival. It is a faith festival, if you will, because we are dedicating this portion of our crops in the belief that God's going to provide everything else we need. So you'll come up at, at first fruits or Shavuot. And remember, uh, Shavuot comes seven weeks after Pesach. So we're still in the springtime. And then he says, you will also come up at the year's end at the Feast of Ingathering. That is now, Sukkot, the Feast of Tabernacles. And even in that, uh, there's a little picture of that <coughs> uh, redemption that God wants us to understand because we have Pesach coming out of uh, slavery into freedom that is uh, recognized in Yeshua's offering of himself so that we can come out of the slavery of sin into the freedom of Messiah. Then there is the uh, Shavuot, the first fruits, and Paul talks about uh, Yeshua himself being the first fruits of the resurrection. And so we celebrate, <clears throat> when, we, when we do that, we recognize that there is a a promised future for the people of God that involves resurrection and being made fit for eternity with him. And then a long time after, after that on the calendar year comes the fall, the fall celebrations, and we are to come up and present ourselves for ingathering. And so it speaks of the time when, when Yeshua returns uh, to gather in all of his people. So there's just a wonderful picture just in the call uh, for for the Israelites to come up three times a year at Passover, at Shavuot, and at Sukkot, that we are mirroring, well, let me put it the other way around, that this is a foreshadowing of what God is going to do for us in Messiah Yeshua, in Jesus Christ. So there's just a wonderful, wonderful picture there, prophetic picture of, of, of God's activity. And, it, and it's interesting that it comes after Yom Kippur, you know, where we're praying for atonement and we are penitent and repentant and confessing and, you know, asking for mercy and forgiveness and to be pardoned, hoping for atonement. And then maybe a week later, <laughs> we're, we're, we're back at our old habits and it becomes even clearer for for us when we when we look at ourselves in truth that we need a savior. Mm -hmm. Yes, 
we we certainly do need a savior. But that's the beauty, and we've talked about this, the, 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 the beautiful difference between the Old Testament high priest who had to year by year come and our New Testament high priest, Yeshua HaMashiach, who come, came once for all. Uh, we, we, are, we are so blessed because uh, we're, we're in that situation. If the, if, the, if the blood of bulls and goats and the, and the, and the ashes of a heifer could uh, purify the flesh, how much more will the blood of the eternal Messiah cleanse us from all unrighteousness and give us a clear conscience before God? And so that's where we are. And of course, uh, there's a reason then to have this giant celebration is to know that we have uh, been established in Messiah and to, to rejoice that, yes, we, we're still wrestling with sin, but praise God, we also have the Holy Spirit who is leading us on to victory when we, when we walk in faith with him. And that's, that's really the, 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 the simchat uh, Mashiach, <laughs> the joy of Messiah, is, is to know that we're, we're fully accepted in the Beloved One, as uh, Paul writes in the beginning of Ephesians. You know, and and it's interesting that they put this Exodus 33 and 34 here because it is all about God's grace. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, uh, it's a familiar passage for us. We've we've touched on it a number of times, but it's always good to go back. And uh, have you guys noticed you'll you'll go to a passage that you think you know real well, and then suddenly something new will pop out. Always. So I was reading this, and I've read it, read it many, many times, but a, a, a phrase in here just jumped out at me uh, like it never has before. And so I, I'll set the stage. Remember, Moses uh, has, has said, if you don't go with us, there's no point in going. Please let your presence be with us. And back in uh, chapter 33 of Exodus, uh, in verse 16, well, let me start in 15. Moses is talking to the Lord. He says, If your presence will not go with me, do not bring us up from here. How shall it be known that I have found favor in your sight, I and your people? Is it not in your going with us, so that we are distinct, I and your people, from every other people on the face of the earth? What makes Israel special? The Lord. Yes. And if the Lord isn't with them, then they're not special. <laughs> and he tells them that to their face a couple different times, right? It's yes. not because you're more righteous. It's not because you're more numerous. It's because I love you because of the fathers, right? That's yes. why I'm sticking with you. Yes. So this is what Moses is saying to him. So, so God says to him, the very thing you've spoken, I will do. You want me to be with you? Okay, I'll be with you. <laughs> Moses says, please show me your glory. And he said, I will make all my goodness pass before you. So here's, here's God's gracious, gracious response. And we're going to come up to this magnificent name that the Lord proclaims, what, what is known in, in uh, the, the Jewish circles as the 13 attributes, right? Uh, 13 different expressions of God and his goodness. But before we get to there, this was the verse that just jumped out at me, and I never really noticed it before, but for some reason it really stuck out. In verse 20, God is speaking to Moses. He says, But you cannot see my face, for man shall not see me and live. And Adonai said, Behold, there is a place by me where you shall stand on the rock. That was the, ver that was the, the phrase there that just jumped out at me like it never did before. There is a place by me 
where you will stand on a rock. And it just suddenly spoke to me so much of Yeshua, who's at the right hand of the Father, who is the rock of our salvation. There's a place by me that you will stand on a rock. And, 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 and that's preceded by, <clears throat> it says, Thou cannot see my face, for man shall not see me and live. Mm-hmm. It, it indicates we need a mediator. We, you know, and, and, and it's this boundary. Remember, we talked about a long time ago how there was the boundary around Mount Sinai that if anyone passed it, they would be, they would what, be burned or, you know, caught on fire. Mm-hmm. I can't remember. But th- there's this boundary of God's holiness and, you know, that requires his grace for our salvation and that is the rock of Ye- that Yeshua is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and well, and just right before that, he says, I'll be gracious to whom I will be gracious and show mercy on whom I will have mercy. So all of this is God's gracious initiative. Yeah, it's just so beautiful. So, And, you know, it's interesting ahead. also that this passage is right after uh, God told uh, Moses who was, he was going to die. You know, because Moses was a great mediator, probably the greatest mediator beside Yeshua. Um, I mean, he, you know, he got pretty close to seeing the Lord here, you know, and he and he was, you know, shining in his face, you know, but and people couldn't look at him. He was a mediator, but he was a flawed mediator. He was born of the flesh, not born of the spirit. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. Well, that goes right along with what we've said consistently all along. Also is, you know, the old covenant keeps asking, is he the one? Is he the one? Is he the one? Yeah. And yes, we definitely need a mediator, <laughs> but we finally need a perfect mediator. Right. Job even said, oh, that there was somebody to, uh, 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 the old King James, I think, says, oh, that there was a daysman that he might put his hand upon my shoulder and upon the Lord. And that idea, I think, uh, of, of mediating the one in the middle who can equally represent both parties. We needed the God man, right? We needed somebody who could stand equal with both parties in, in the dispute and, and, and reconcile it. You know, just so beautiful. It is beautiful. Well, I'm going to throw this out here for you guys to just riff any way you want. Uh, I'll read it, but this is this is this beautiful name of God that is proclaimed uh, by by the Lord as His glory passes by Moses, hidden in the cleft of the rock. Uh, it says in 34:5, the Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him there. Stood with him there. Wow. There's some real mystery in that phrase, isn't there? Mm-hmm. I'm going to pass by, but I'm going to stand with you too. A place by me where you'll stand on a rock. Maybe maybe I'm going too far afield, but is this similar in any way, do you think, with the fourth man in the fire? I mean, that's just an idea that yes. popped into my head. Good point, Jerry. I mean, I, I don't want to get dogmatic about it, but maybe there's... A little bit of something like that going on here. I don't know. The Lord well, you, uh, stood you know, with him there. You know, <clears throat> this standing is 
people think that that is a not an action, that it's passive, but constantly throughout Scripture, we are told to stand, like oh, yeah. when their back was against the Red Sea, they were said, stand and watch the salvation of the Lord. Paul tells us in in Ephesians 6 when he's talking about the full armor of God to stand in the power of God. So, you know, that's what we're called on to do. To That is what faith, and it, when we're self-reliant, we are like doing our actions, you know. Mm-hmm. We are doing, I'm doing what... I do, you know, but when we stand with God, there's a, we can then serve him and serve others. Well, before we get to God's name, maybe this is the place to bring up what you were saying about Asherim, because over in 34, uh, 13, this is uh, the Lord talking to Moses after he tells him his name, what they're to do with the Canaanite culture. Uh, and especially the Canaanite religious culture, when they get into the land, they're supposed to destroy it. And he says, You shall tear down their altars and break their pillars and cut down their asherim, in verse 13, for you shall worship no other god for Adonai, Hashem, uh, the Lord, whose name is Jealous, is a jealous God, lest you make a covenant with the inhabitants of the land. And so you brought out the point that the word for happy is asher, and so here, uh, their idol is the happy idol, happiness. And what were you thinking about that, Lee? Well, happiness and joy are different. Mm-hmm. We're told to rejoice in the Lord, that our joy should be in the Lord. But when we pursue our own desires, our own wants, what we think is going to make us happy— making ourselves an idol of ourselves, then that is, you know, the ultimate idol that, that he's telling us here to tear down. Mm-hmm. The, the idol of happiness, what our wants, pursuing right. our wants and our pleasures. Because God says he is a jealous God. And what does that mean? He wants 100% of our affection, when, when the Shema says, love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, that's not 85% or 90%. That's 100% of our heart. Mm-hmm. He is jealous. He will pursue us in, you know, in a way he doesn't back us into our corner, but our choices to pursue those wants and desires, those asherim that lead to our suffering, the curses of disobedience, will, you know, cause our suffering until we're brought in humble repentance to our knees and give ourselves 100% to God at God's will and give God 100% of our affection to love the Lord thy God with all our heart. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I hadn't ever really thought about that point that you made that asherim is from that Hebrew word asher uh, 
or Asher, as we pronounce it when we read the, the, the sons of Jacob. Uh, but remember, Asher was one of the sons of Jacob. Uh, he was a son of Leah's handmaid, and Leah named him Asher because she was happy that she had gotten one up again. <laughs> right? So kind of a negative connotation there, but it's interesting that uh, in our English translations, we, we have the word blessed, but there's two Hebrew words that are translated as blessed. One is the standard one that we, we understand when we say the blessing, the barucha, uh, from the Hebrew word barach. Uh, but another word that is translated as blessed is asher, hmm. happy. And what's interesting in the conversation that we've, we're just having now about pursuing our own happiness as opposed to pursuing God is that that is the word asher that leads off with Psalm 1. Asherah ha'ish, happy is the one, happy is the man. Now, my English standard uh, version translate as blessed is the man, but the Hebrew is asherah ha'ish, happy is the man. And so there's also some debate if uh, Jesus, when he's giving the Sermon on the Mount, if his background is more asher or barach, blessed are the poor, is it blessed in barach sense or is it Blessed in the asher, happy sense. So many English translations have, have uh, happy for that lead-off word in the Sermon on the Mount as opposed mm -hmm. to blessed. So there's, there's a real connection uh, between blessedness and true happiness. Because, of course, you read Psalm 1, uh, which I think we've talked about on this show before, that this is, this is sort of the, the introduction to the whole book of Psalms to, to kind of lay out a, a large pattern between the one who finds true happiness by following God and God's instructions versus the wicked who ultimately are like the chaff that the wind drives away, right? The righteous will be like uh, trees planted by waters and their fruit will never wear out. The wicked are like chaff that the wind drives away. Happy is the one, Asherah Ha'ish, who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, who does not stand, and there's our word stand, in the way of sinners. And by that, he doesn't mean you get in their way. He means in, in the way that they're going, he does not stand there. Uh, and he doesn't sit in the seat of the scoffers, but his delight is in the Torah, the law of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates day and night. So all of that really comes back in here to what we've just been talking about. You've got to go in. You've got to drive out the Canaanites. You've got to destroy every remnant of their religion so that you don't wind up making a covenant with them, making a covenant with them, with their gods, mm -hmm. and departing from following your God, the Lord, the Lord, who we're ready to talk about his name. Okay, so I'll just read it. As I said, I'll let you guys kind of run whichever direction you, you, you feel led. So the Lord descends in verse 5 of 34. The Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him there, proclaiming the name of the Lord. Hashem, that word that we've talked about, some people pronounce it Yahweh. Uh, it is the tetragrammaton, the, the, the four letters uh, in Hebrew, uh, it's the Hebrew for, uh, four letters, yod He, vav He. He comes down and he says, uh, uh, 
and every good Jew pronounces it uh, Adonai. So uh, Adonai passed before him and proclaimed, <coughs> excuse me, Adonai, Adonai, the name, the name, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and the fourth generation. So there he has proclaimed his full name, and names are very significant uh, as they reveal the character of the one who's named, and that's exactly what God is doing about himself. Um, as I said a little bit earlier, this is what's known in Judaism as the 13 attributes. And uh, just a powerful, powerful passage of scripture comes up. I don't know that we've counted them up, but as Bob has pointed out for us many times, this, this is a framework uh, that, that appears in so many different places uh, throughout the, the rest of the Old Testament. So what do you, what do you want to throw in here? Well, well, Jerry, what I like about it is that, that, that that's who he wants to be identified as, somebody that's compassionate, somebody that love, faithful love to, to Israel. And there, when he made this covenant uh, with Moses, it was about 1550 B.C., as I recall. So for the next 1500 years, you know, before Jesus, when Jesus comes to the second covenant, he's working with them. He's, he's, and as much as the, the Israelites have stumbled during that time, he, stay, he sticks with them. And he said, hey, hey, please come back, you know, and we'll forgive and we'll be, you'll be in, back in covenant with us and I'll bless you. So it's just a, a to me it's a it's a father that loves his children or loves his wife whatever you want to put it on, on the old test old covenant piece is that he's waiting for him and wants to have a relationship mm -hmm. with him. I uh, <clears throat> I was thinking about looking. This is God's nature. God revealing His nature. So from a Trinitarian point of view. That's the nature of Yeshua mm -hmm. and the nature of the Holy Spirit, yes, which dwells in us. And so when we talk about how the Holy Spirit is there to, to guide us, to teach us, to warn us, to convict us, these are good attributes to go back Amen. and think about of what we should aspire to, to be like Yeshua merciful and gracious, long-suffering or slow to anger. My translation says abundant in goodness and truth because it's for Rav Chesed, that, that Hebrew word Chesed, which is such a word of loving kindness and steadfast love that represents God's very nature and and truth which also represents his very nature and sometimes when there is a conflict between his his loving kindness and his and truth what does he have to do he 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 has to in order to resolve that he has to forgive because that comes from his loving kindness and hold us to account because that comes from his truth. And it's sort of how we should 
look at the Holy Spirit in us as well, that the Holy Spirit needs to hold us to account because that is walking in truth and, and trying to be more holy, if, as you've pointed out, and, and you know, and, but also to experience God's love and mercy and grace through the forgiveness that, you know, is there in the name of Yeshua mm-hmm. and in the Holy Spirit. Well, this is not included directly in God's proclamation of his name, but then he does go on and say he's a jealous God whose name is Jealous. And so when we talk about the Holy Spirit in us, he's jealous for God's character to be reproduced in us. And when we go astray, we should expect conviction and rebuke. And it is the the, the product of exactly this this passage that lays out God's nature for us. Yeah, and, and it's interesting because as soon as uh, Moses heard this, it says, and Moses made haste and bowed his head toward the earth and worshiped. Mm-hmm. I mean, that should be when when we're convicted by the Holy Spirit in us, that should be our reaction as well. Make haste. Mm, and bow our head toward the earth and worship. Mm-hmm. You know, Jerry. Also, it, it, this this passage um, talks about a warning that that God gives to him. It says that uh, be careful not to make a treaty with the inhabitants of the land that you are entering; otherwise, they will become a snare among you. Mm-hmm. So, and 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 tear down these these um, the the asterisk poles, the sacred pillars, the high places. Get rid of them. Do, do not let, allow your attention to follow them in any way. So this one warning he repeats over and over and over again through the, through, through the prophets to say, hey, stay with me on this. You know? Right. So. Well, this is, this is the challenge of Yeshua followers today. Amen. And, and, yes. and that, that is the idea of being in the world but not of the world. Right. Uh, Paul quotes, in, that, that's, that's, that's in 1 Corinthians. In 2 Corinthians, he, he kind of comes back at the same idea, <clears throat> uh, quoting from another place in the Old Covenant, uh, come out from among them and be ye separate. So how do we live as in the world but not of it? What are the asharim around us that the culture is lifting up before our eyes that we need to constantly be cutting down. Well, b- before we get to the, the, the idols, I just want to go back to Moses's reaction here because I think it points to how, what would be proper for me to react having received God's grace because he says, and Moses said, if now I have found grace in thy sight, O Lord, mm-hmm. let the Lord, I pray thee, go in the midst of us. For it is a stiff-necked par- people, and pardon our iniquity and our sin, and take us for thine inheritance. I mean, as a believer in Yeshua who has, been, who has found forgiveness through the blood of Yeshua, this is how my heart should feel. Oh, Lord, oh, Lord, go inside of me because I'm a stiff-necked person. 
and pardon my iniquity and my sin and take me for thine inheritance. I think you're right that there's 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 a humility that's still required of us, uh, maybe even more so. Um, that in in a way, as you were reading this, it reminded me the the third requirement that Micah has is walk humbly with your God, right? That we are never to enter presumptuously on God's grace, and that that in fact is is a subject that comes up a couple different times in in the New Testament letters about acting presumptuously. Uh, we remain what Moses said, uh, a stiff-necked people. If you know, if if we have found favor, stick with us. But we 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 are <laughs> we still remain a stiff-necked and stubborn people. But by your grace, by your indwelling Spirit, by your constant proclaiming your name and humbling me again, right? We are making advances in holiness and sanctification, and. God is doing his work in us of conforming us to the image of his son. But uh, it always comes back to walking humbly with our God, admitting, well, you know, John has this, this portion in his first letter. He says, if, if we say we have no sin, we're deceiving ourselves. But if we confess our sins, then he's faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness, to purge us, to put us in the mikvah, if you will, <laughs> mm-hmm. for our Jewish listeners to cleanse us. Uh, to, to give us the ritual bathing that we need. And, of course, that ritual bathing is, is a reminder that we have been, in the uh, gospel uh, language, washed in the blood, right? That the blood of Jesus cleanses from all sins. So, I mean, I guess the going back to your question about what are the modern asherim, they're everywhere. <laughs> it's everything, you know. Other, I mean, you know, it money, you know, fame, status, pride, uh, you know, all those <coughs> things, those things that elevate self, self-indulgences, self-reliance, self-thinking, you know, of self in control, you know, mm-hmm. putting self above others, all of those things. It's the same as it's, it's always been. There's nothing new under the nothing sun. Under the sun. There's just new technology, new enticements, new, you know. Well, it's 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 appealing to the same old flesh, just coming at it in new and devilishly inventive ways, right? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Anything else you want to draw out from this passage? Because we have uh, two other passages of Scripture. Our Haftorah is Ezekiel 38 and 39. And then the uh, assigned New Testament portion is uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 1 to 11. Okay. And if you don't have anything else you want to talk about here, we can address uh, those sections uh, next, if you like. Well, I, it's just it also ends with a promise. I'll, I'll, he, God says, "I will take you into the promised land." He will do it, and I think you know if, if you take in, uh, you know, take in effect to, that the warnings come, and if you obey, the, if you obey me, and 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 obey the warnings, then the, then the the result is that you'll be brought into the promised land. Mm-hmm. And 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 I think you know the last sort of point about this is he God makes a covenant there with the people after 
after he's revealed his nature, he makes a covenant with us. After we come uh, by grace through faith to believe in Yeshua as our Savior, we have the covenant, and that is the hope in the glory of God and the and in and the hope and the assurance in the promises of God and you know that it, it it is important that when we are humbled in our heart and we we understand God's merciful and gracious nature, his forgiving, his fullness of steadfast love and truth when that sinks into our soul and we bow our head in worship, that we realize that we are now chosen and we have chosen ourselves to be one of his redeemed people, one of his um, sanctified people. And, and that carries with it uh, a privilege and a responsibility yes. and that's and that was what the jewish people you know were singled out for they were given the privilege and the responsibility mm-hmm. yes responsibility is is a key component of uh, those to understand privileges that privileges are to be carried out responsibly i mean mm-hmm. even on a day-to-day basis you have the privilege of driving a car, you get a license, but there's responsibility that goes with it, right? Yeah. And, um, and, and you know, when we have the privilege of receiving the grace and salvation through faith by the grace of God, we have the responsibility to share that with other people, not to hoard it for ourselves, not to hide it, but to share the good news. But that's what God wanted Israel to do, be a messenger nation, did he not? Mm-hmm. And the that's what the nations. Yes, and then now now he's given it to us. All, all who follow Yeshua are called to be uh, light and salt. Uh, we're supposed to be like a shining city on a hill. Uh, we're not to hide our light under a bushel. Uh, Jesus, uh, as as he is about to ascend, gives his disciples the final word, uh, you shall be my witnesses, uh, beginning in Jerusalem, then Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth, um, which dovetails, of course, with uh, the Great Commission, as it's called at the end of Matthew, go into all the world making disciples as you go, right? So we're to carry the hope of Yeshua in our hearts, and we are to live in such a hopeful way as the community of God. I don't think this is a Lone Ranger issue. Uh, yes, each one of us is responsible in the sphere that we have to be witnesses to the people God gives us. But the, the evangelistic enterprise is ultimately a community operation. We're all to be living together in such a way that we will be demonstrating that Yeshua is 
the Son of God, because that's what Yeshua said in his prayer. The world will know by your love for one another. We can't, we, we can't love one another alone. Right. We've got to be in that community that God is calling out. We've got to be members of the one new man in a visible way to a world that needs what we are offering. Right. right. So so uh, we are now as one new man, the body of Christ, the messenger, the light that God is sending out into the world. We are we are no longer darkness, but light in him. All of those things are working together. But this conversation dovetails kind of nicely with our last two passages because they focus on the dark days that will be coming at the end. Uh, Ezekiel 38 and 39 talk about the great last battle when the nations of the world will gather against Israel to come and destroy her and God will raise himself up to be their defender and at the end of all that, uh, when Gog and Magog have been put down, then the nations will be flowing into Jerusalem and Jerusalem will be the center of the world and all nations will flow to it and the light of God will go out from there through the Jewish nation once more as was intended. Uh, I read this thing this week, uh, reading up for this section. Um, at least one rabbi on the subject of Gog and Magog says this and why it's associated with Sukkot. Well, it's associated with Sukkot because Sukkot is, in a way, the end of all things, right? It is the end of the harvest. It's the ingathering. Uh, this has been the, the, the goal of what we've been doing all year, uh, is to get to this point of, of everything has been brought in. So uh, there, there's also this sense then that this is 38 and 39 of Ezekiel are describing the end of, of human history. This is, this is where it's all headed, where, where God is going to finally intervene in an absolutely decisive way to, to establish his people and himself as himself as king of the earth. And Ezekiel talks pre, just previous, I can't remember if it's just previous to this or in here, I'm not certain, but that he's going to set up David his king once more, right? So all of that is end of the age stuff. Right. And so the rabbi says this uh, in, in coupling uh, this passage with Sukkot. He says, uh, Gog is the Hebrew word for roof. And having a roof over your head denotes the security that you've built for yourself. Mm. And the Hebrew word Magog, even to us English speakers, it's clear that Gog and Magog must have something in common. And so uh, he says that when you put that M sound in front of a word, what you're talking about is the projection of the thing, the extension of it. And so he says what Gog represents in this roof is building personal security, and Magog represents the idea that this is a philosophy that is then projected out mm. and covers the world. And so this idea of self-sufficiency and self-security, I'll build it myself, is Gog and Magog. Isn't that great? Yeah, it is. And so it is in contrast to the Israelites and all of us Yeshua followers who do it either literally or figuratively, at least, dwelling under a Sukkot, open to the sky, open to God wow. and God's sovereignty and God's intervention. Mm -hmm. And so uh, there's this coupling not only on the basis of, you know, the end of the age uh, versus the end of the agricultural season and the ingathering, and God's going to gather the nations once more, right? But for destruction, 
he's going to put down his enemies once and for all. And that, that was the, the uh, message that came through in uh, Moses' song, if you remember, I will, I will destroy my adversaries. So this is, this, this is the historical point uh, of, of actually intervening in human history in this, uh, I'll use the word ostentatious, decisive way he is going to destroy the enemies of Israel and establish his kingdom on earth. Well, I mean, it, God is clear throughout the Torah. He separates good and evil, light and dark. There is a clear boundary condition here. And in the end, you know, his plan is to redeem a people for himself and to redeem, for that redeemed people to, you know, have the messianic age. To, mm -hmm. So, I mean, it's all consistent with, you know, that God's nature, you know, can't tolerate the Gog and the Magog, you mm -hmm. know, the self-reliance and the projection of that narcissistic point of view out into the world. And we, 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 we uh, live through this time uh, at God's gracious, uh, can't think of the word that I want to say there, uh, but his, his, his gracious restraint, let me call it that way. Uh, remember, Peter says, uh, God's not slow concerning his promises, but he's patient, waiting for all to come, right? That's good. Paul sums it up as the age of the Gentiles, right? The time of God's call outward to the nations and just like israel was 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 disciplined and seemingly rejected although we know he has not rejected his people israel so the nations too are having an opportunity to come mm -hmm. but there is a time when the cup of god's wrath is going to be filled up and that's the gog magog situation when all the nations finally gather against israel and say we've had it uh, we're, 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 we're sick of these people, this nation, it's a thorn in our flesh. <clears throat> and you can see so many, excuse me, uh, reasons uh, around the world today why people are down on Israel, uh, have all of these uh, pent-up attitudes of anger and, and, and disgust over Israel. Um, I believe... Clearly, that this is the work of the devil uh, in 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 a an effort to to overthrow God's plan, right? Bob, you shared last week about uh, if 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 you can overthrow the covenant of nature, then I'll I'll well if 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 the devil's thinking if if I can destroy Israel, then I'll have destroyed what what God said He could do, right? And so. Uh, the nations are going to, to be filled up with that attitude of anti-Semitism, anti-God, and they're going to gather and assault, uh, assault Israel. Go ahead, Bob. Yeah, it says that, um, in, in uh, 38.23, he goes, I will display my greatness and holiness and will reveal myself in the sight of many nations. Then they will know that I am the Lord. And there's three times I remember, this being the third time, that God says, I will reveal myself. The first time, if, if, you, if we remember when we were doing in Exodus 19, is when he was on top of the mountain, he revealed himself. You know, I am the Lord your God. The second time is when, he, when Jesus came, he revealed himself through Jesus. And this is the third time, this third and final time that I can 
think of that he will reveal himself says hey this is who i am this was taking place you know mm -hmm. so i just want to yeah pretty pretty that pretty great that word reveal is mm -hmm. make himself obvious i think mm -hmm. yeah revelation has an interesting take on <clears throat> how how the world responds to him when he reveals himself they they would rather have the mountains fall on them than to turn to god isn't that the truth <laughs> i remember reading that right wow yeah so so the uh this Gog Magog thing, um, at the end of chapter 39, <clears throat> uh, well, I guess we didn't go all the way to the end of 39, uh, <clears throat> but he, he, he says in, in 39, 13, all the people of the land will bury them and bring them renown on that day, and I, that I show my glory, declares the Lord. And so here he is, he is simply speaking to to the uh, people, the, the, the devastating results of this war is going to be uh, seven months of having to bury the dead bodies, right? That it's going to be such a cataclysm uh, when, when God directly intervenes and he puts down all the people who rose up against him. Now that completely uh, fits in with our New Testament portion then because Okay, as, as followers of Yeshua, Paul deals with not that aspect of the end times directly, but he has just talked to them in 1 Thessalonians 4 about being caught up together with the Lord. The trumpet, the, the Yom, Yom Teruah, the, the day of trumpets that is in prophetic uh, literature, uh, the feast of <laughs> what we now call Rosh Hashanah, Yom Teruah, the trumpet of the Lord, the voice of the archangel, the Lord himself will descend with a shout, uh, and the people of God will be caught up together along with those who had previously died in the Lord. And so shall we ever be with the Lord, and we can encourage one another with these words. That is the hope of our calling. And we need to be clear that the hope of our calling is this future that God has in store for us when he restores all things. Okay? <clears throat> our, our hope is not on some short-sighted, earthly, temporary circumstance, but our hope is the hope of glory that is coming when Jesus, who appears in glory, will bring us to be with him. So then Paul writes to the Thessalonians, all right, now concerning these times, you don't have anything need to be written to you. You yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. And the people of the world are saying peace and security, but sudden destruction will come on them as labor pains on a pregnant woman. But, he says, you are not in the darkness that that day should surprise you like a thief. You and me, followers of Yeshua, we know that time is coming. And so we prepare ourselves for that time. And it might come at a surprising time, but we will be prepared because we are children of light. We are not children of the night or of the darkness, so let us not sleep as others do, but let us keep awake and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night. Those who get drunk are drunk at night, but since we belong to the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love, and for a helmet, the hope of salvation. For God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ who died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, that is, whether we're alive or dead, 
we might live with him. And again, this idea to encourage one another with these words. What is he saying? Simply that I have told you the future. I am coming back. You need to live in the way that is honoring and glorifying and being prepared for my appearing, to go back to the idea earlier, walking humbly with your God, being sober. And we see here in one of his early letters this idea of that armor of God that he's going to fully develop in Ephesians. But even here he says, let us be sober. And again, that Ephesians idea, let us be filled with the Spirit and not drunk with wine, right? So here's that same idea that he's going to develop. But let us be sober. We have the breastplate of faith and love and the hope of salvation for our mind's protection. What is the hope of salvation? The hope of salvation is the ultimate deliverance of Yeshua's people from the penalty, power, and presence of sin. That is the hope of salvation, to live together as God's people with God without sin, without its effects, without its drag on our lives, without the death in all the variety of forms that it brings. That's the hope of our salvation. And so we're hanging on to that. And when he comes and we're hanging on to that, it's not going to surprise us. When all of this stuff around us suddenly evaporates because it was all temporary and the glory of God, which is eternal, comes, we will be prepared if we have lived soberly and righteously in this present age, which is what grace teaches us in Titus. And the idea there, too, is we are waiting for the blessed hope, the appearance of our Lord in glory, right? That's what all this is about. And so God's calling us, you know, you know the story. You know the end. I'm coming. I think, Lee, you said it earlier. God wins. <laughs> whether it's the battle of Gog, Magog, and whether it's the battle for our, our sinful hearts that he, he, he breaks down and, re- and circumcises in Yeshua, God wins. And so we need to hang on to that. Even on the days that I'm, I'm, I'm still struggling with sin, in those moments when I, I know I should have done this, when, but I did that instead, God's going to win. And that is the hope that we have, that not only the sin out there, but the, especially the sin in here is going to be gone. Amen. Gone. You know, and, and the, the, since we belong to the day, that is to, you know, God's team, let's call it the day, let us be sober, but the breastplate of faith and love. So we are to have the breastplate protecting our heart because of our faith and the love of God expressed through Yeshua HaMashiach and and for a helmet, the hope of salvation. So the helmet protects our mind, the breastplate protects our heart, our emotions. And, And what protects our emotions? the love and mercy of God, our faith and trust in God and the love and mercy of God and what protects our mind, our, the, helmet, the, the helmet, the hope of salvation. So, so it's the way to structure our thoughts and our emotions so that we walk in the Spirit. Well, we are just about out of time. Uh, We want to invite you to uh, share this broadcast with your friends. It's on uh, 
uh, streaming mediums like Spotify and uh, Apple iTunes. Uh, we would love to hear from you on our Facebook page, One New Man Ministries International. Uh, we're going to pray again uh, and ask you if uh, you're ready to accept Yeshua as your salvation to enter into the joy of the Lord. Uh, pray this prayer with us. Father in heaven, I'm so grateful that you sent your son to be the payment for my sins. And I humble myself before you and I ask you, Lord Jesus, to be my savior. I ask you, Holy Spirit, to be my guide. And by your work in me, may I live a life that is sober and holding on to the hope of salvation in Yeshua. I ask it in Yeshua's name, in Jesus' name, amen. amen. Please come back and join us next week. Thanks for being with us today, and God be with you.